Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we needed when the sun shone down on the Garden of Eden. All right. Uh, um, uh, hey, everybody. This is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman. Back to the, for the 133rd Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition Zoom call. We are going to be packed to the gills today, as always. I want to welcome my listeners at the Progressive Radio Network, the Solar Topic Green Power and Wellness Show. In the first hour, we're going to start with the grassroots organizing uh, uh, genius of, of Andrea Miller and uh, preceded briefly by Andy Moore uh, who, of the NANR, who's going to tell us exactly what that is, and the great uh, Norm Stockwell from Progressive.org, who still gets the prize for best beard uh, on our shows. You still look like a lumberjack, bro, and I'm glad to have you with us. Uh, then we are, and, um, after the half hour, we're going to be joined by Anna Georgie, who has just been in Germany, and uh, she is going to tell us in English about the spectacular victory, and it is, a, it is impossible to overstate the importance of this victory with the shutdown of the final nuclear reactors in Germany. Germany is, I, I was challenged on this. I've been saying that Germany is the fourth largest economy in the world. And on a Greenpeace call uh, uh, yesterday, someone told me it's now the fifth largest economy in the world and that California is the fourth largest economy in the world. So we won't dispute it, but nonetheless, Germany is definitely the biggest economy in Europe. And they are now done, done, done with nuclear power. And Anna Georgie, who's played a major role in the no nukes movement for many, many years, uh, is going to tell us all about that. We'll go to the top of the hour and we will be joined by the, the legendary Stephen Donziger um, for a full hour to discuss his, the insane prosecution that he has endured uh, at the hands of Chevron. And um, uh, it's an incredible story. And we're giving him the whole second hour. He will be joined by folks from the uh, Free Julian Assange movement uh, and others. So it is action packed. We will go to seven o'clock Eastern time and then probably beyond for General Kibitzing. We already have 66 people on the, on the call. For those of you who have joined anticipating Stephen Donziger, again, he will be on at six o'clock Eastern time, about an hour from now. And uh, we are going to start with grassroots organizing, we want to go to Andy Moore because we know Andy has to pick up his kids at daycare. Andy, and then we'll segue directly into Andrea Miller and uh, Norm Stockwell for the update. Uh, Andrea is going to give us a, a big picture view of grassroots organizing leading into 2024. And Norm is going to update us on what's actually happening in Wisconsin. Andy Moore, uh, come on with us. Uh, tell us about your organization. Uh, what you do and who you are. We know you're in Oklahoma. Um, uh, beyond that, tell us, tell us what your organization is about. And please put the links in the chat. Sure. Thanks so much, Harvey. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with all of you today on this uh, lovely Monday here. Uh, so I'm with the National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers, which is a mouthful. We like to call it NANR. Uh, which sounds fun and tasty, uh, as electoral and democracy reform should be. Uh, we're a nationwide organization. I happen to live in Oklahoma City, uh, which is really right in the middle of the country. Um, but our work is nationwide. We have nearly 100 members who are working on uh, what we call democracy reform, building a stronger, more resilient, more representative and fair democracy across the country. So issues like uh, independent redistricting, trying to push back on gerrymandering, open primaries, um, alternate voting systems like ranked choice voting or approval voting, uh, campaign finance reform, uh, those kinds of issues. Um, and we're really excited and we've seen some really great success recently in places like Alaska and Maine, uh, a bunch of cities in Utah. Um, and we're really looking forward to 2024, where I think we're gonna see um, really explosive growth of the electoral reform system um, across the country. I mean, in, in states, big notable ones like Nevada, small ones that don't get as much press uh, because, you know, voters across the country, I think, recognize that the current two-party duopoly 
It's just not working for us anymore. We as Americans are more divided, arguably, than we've been you know, in 150 years. Uh, and the solution to that is to give some of the power back to the people, reform systems so that they work for voters, not just for politicians, uh, and empower us, I think is just Americans, to elect representatives who are going to truly work for us and not just be beholden to their, their biggest donors, uh, their special interests. Okay, so do you, uh, I think as we all know, a doo-wop was a much better a type of music than it is for a political system. <laughs> and um, uh, we hope that you'll put your, um, uh, we know you gotta run, so we, uh, will you please put your platform uh, in the chat in one form or another, or at least put your website, send me your email at solartopia at ME, and we will add you to our list and we'll have you join back on. You need to be in touch with Andrea Miller and with Norm Stockwell and uh, to further your, your great work. Uh, we have 73 people with us. Does anyone want to ask Andy a quick question uh, before we proceed? Uh, um, uh, are, are you a 501c3? Are you a nonprofit? Do you do no. 501c4 work? Yeah, so we're a 501c4. Um, enables us, I mean, when you're working with a two-party duopoly, you kind of have to fight fire with fire sometimes. So that maximizes our ability to advocate for reforms um, like like the ones that our members are, are working on. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Uh, is there anything else you want to tell us? Uh, I'm open to some questions. I've got, I've got some time if people want to ask questions. I see several hands raised. Okay. Uh, Scott, Scott Demon, you're raising your hand. Uh, are you unmuted? Can we unmute Scott, please? Scott, then we go. Thank you very much, uh, Andy and, and Harv. Thank you both. Andy, what kind of a base do you have? Um, you know, do you have a membership? If so, how large is it? Uh, how many operating uh, chapters do you have in the States? I'm from Maine, where we have ranked voting, and it's already worked fabulously to get rid of a corporate fascist um, congressman uh, and to to put in a moderate Democrat, but um, it, you know, it, it's, it's a tremendous tool for one, but I'm very curious because obviously definitely supportive of all of your uh, goals and objectives and um, hoping that you have a, a great groundswell behind you. Yeah, so uh, that's a great question, Scott, thank you. Um, so right now, I think from the email I saw last night, we have 97 active members and members are organizations, not individuals. Okay. We're really kind of a business to business operation where we are trying to help uh, organizations grow, right? Trying to increase the capacity of organizations big and small. So we do have you know members that are large national organizations like Unite America, Represent Us, Fair Vote, Open Primaries, some of those big ones. Um, but we also you know, work closely with a number of smaller state-based or even local organizations, uh, folks that are trying to make change in their backyard, right? We all know that all politics is local uh, and being able to connect with grassroots folks around the country, including those who maybe are working on Monday, stuff right? on their own, but getting them connected to, uh, you know, um, maybe a larger organization in their state. Uh, if there's a campaign that's going on, uh, we try to help kind of bridge the gap there and really help those smaller grassroots groups kind of level up so that they can be more effective and, and can be part of this, this budding movement across the country. Oh, Harvey, I think you're, uh, you're muted. There, there we go. Okay, so yes, um, it sounds great. Um, uh, do you have Center for Common Ground on your, uh, on your roster there? I'll have to go back and look. I've, I'll be honest, we had explosive growth last year. We went from about 25 to you know more than 90 members and I've lost track of who's all on there. Um, membership okay. is uh, is open to any organization. Um, there's a there's a first year free option. Um, you know that we do a we do a really great annual conference. Uh, it's going to be next February, February of 2024, in Denver, uh, and we'd love to see see all of you there. Okay, uh, Andrea, do you want to? Oh, God, we got a bunch of hands here. Um, uh, John Steiner, go ahead. John Steiner, uh, you're muted. Can we unmute John Steiner? Ron, I'm, un I'm unmuted. Okay, go for it. Un and, Andy, great to see you in this venue. Go and um, 
Am I good? Yeah, you're good. And you alluded to this, but if somebody on the call wants to join or just learn more, I, we presume on the website there's an easy way to do that? Or what, what would you tell us as any organizations that are on the call to want to get more involved? Yeah, that's right, Tron. Always good to see you. Um, I put our link in the chat, and I'll do it here and again in just a moment. Uh, it's it's nonpartisanreformers.org. Uh, if you want to see who our current members are, you can click on membership. There's a list of all of our members and most of their logos if they submitted one. Um, and uh, and you're welcome to join. There's a, there's a link to join uh, right there on the website as well. Well, listen, I thank you, John. I, I suggest that your Denver meeting next February that you feature Andrea Miller in the Center for Common Ground so that you can uh, present the, uh, the core issues with grassroots organizing and how the Georgia Miracle was run and things like that. Can we unmute uh, Ron Leonard? Uh, Ruth Strauss, go ahead. And also Point Man needs to be un unmuted. And then we're gonna give you five more minutes and then we'll, uh, we're gonna switch over to Andrea Miller and then uh, Norm Stockwell for the Wisconsin reports, okay? Sluggo, Thank just two you. quick reminders. For people asking questions, we have the 90-second rule. Right. So people can get in and out of their questions really quickly, and we can get to everybody. And number two, if you're unmuted, please be quiet. Don't ask what day it is. We heard somebody shouting out, um, you're going out on a live line, and uh, just uh, try to keep quiet. Unless yeah, you're recognized. Thank you, Mike, and whoever asked that, it's Monday. Uh, go ahead, Ruth, and then Ron Leonard. And then well, you, you, yeah, hi, you had me. Ruth, wasn't me wrestling paper. Somebody's um, uh, I didn't know what people said. About Andrea Miller. I think you've got two people open. I'm sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah, go for it, Ruth. Okay, so anyway, I think Andrea was probably in large part responsible for the um, winning of Judy Protesowitz in Wisconsin, so I definitely want you to get together with her. Um, what I want to know is, do you all have a plan? I mean, it's great to have more parties, but the real bug boogaboo is the state legislators that want their, um, you know, electors to vote however they want, or the state legislature to override the electors. So are you all working on that as well? Yeah, that's a great question, Ruth. Um, so we, as, as an organization, uh, we don't champion any specific policy. We really kind of work as a trade association for our members. Um, but I'll say, I think, you know, we share some common values. And one of those key things is that we're not, we're not anti-party, we're pro-voter, right? So we're all working on issues that make democracy work better for all of us. Um, you know, there's some great research and commentary from folks like Lee Drutman um, about the, the two-party doom loop and how America might be better served by having multiple parties that are stronger and better represent their constituents. Um, and I, I think one of the, um, the, the things that we're looking at is not just Congress, right, but definitely down the ballot, whether it's state legislatures, you know, your county government, your city government, um, but designing election systems that work better for voters. As, as one small example, here where I live in Oklahoma, um, like many places in the country, our city elections are nonpartisan. Um, you know, our mayor and city council, they're on the ballot and it's an open primary. Everybody gets to vote because the race itself is nonpartisan. Um, but when you go up, up the ballot some to county and state government, all of those partisan races have partisan primaries. And that means that in a state like Oklahoma, um, all of the Democrats and all the independent voters don't get a say in any of the races that are often defining who wins, right? Last cycle, 70% um, of the state legislature in Oklahoma was reelected by default because they didn't have opponents or because they ran um, in a race that was a, a single party primary election. And that meant that the majority of voters didn't get a chance to cast a ballot whatsoever. Uh, and so we, uh, you know, looking at how we can change reforms like that so that everyone's vote uh, really does count equal and that we all get a say in who elects us or who represents us. I think are fundamental things that do trickle down and, and well, or trickle up in many cases um, to elect better candidates that 
pay attention to what voters actually want and not just what the folks at the fringes uh, are, are, are yelling about. Okay, so your website is posted in the chat and people can look at that specifically. Ron Leonard, I don't know why you're muted again. Um, uh, let's get you unmuted. Um, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna cut it off uh, quickly, um, but Ron, go ahead and Wendy, uh, Charles and Justin, and that'll be it. Go ahead, Wendy, uh, Ron. Yes, uh, so I'm so glad that you're optimistic and I'm curious as to where the optimism comes from. Is it because that we are seeing in a recent Gallup poll that 49% of Americans recognize themselves as an independent rather than a uh, Republican or Democrat? For example, in 2004, it was basically 35% Democrat, 33% Republican, and 31% uh, independent. Now it's 49% independent. What's happening? Yeah, that's a great question, Ron. And I'll be honest, I'm one of those folks, right? I, I was a Republican for the first 10 years of my voting life, switched to be a Democrat with hope and change in 2008. Uh, and then several years ago, left the Democratic Party as well, because I felt like neither party uh, really was doing a good job of representing me, uh, at least here and in, in where I live. And uh, and I think we see that across the country. I mean, many states, Colorado, Nevada, there's lots of states where, where independents are a majority of voters. Uh, and in states that have close primaries, that means that a majority of voters cannot participate in those primary elections. Often those are the general elections, right? If there's no opponent. Furthermore, if, you know, I think a concern is that if the two parties are losing voters, right, people are leaving those parties, both opting out uh, and choosing to not affiliate with any party. If, if you're selling, you know, widgets or tennis shoes and an increasing number of people don't want what you're selling, you really got to look at yourself in the mirror and, and examine why that is. Uh, and so I think, you know, we see some really exciting um, possibilities on the horizon. Uh, groups like Forward Party that are that are starting another party, um, but they are making election reform part of their platform. In some ways, harkens back to the way that our that our two major parties used to function, where it wasn't just ideological divides on both sides, but where you have cross-cutting um, issues, where you have conservative and liberal members of both parties. Uh, I, you know, I think. Americans are starting to organize around issues uh, and around personalities and people, not just around political ideology. Uh, and I think everyone, uh, those of us in this movement, anyone who cares about the future of our country should take notice uh, and start to really think about what that means for how we structure our elections to make sure that how we handle that is keeping pace with where voters are. Okay, so Annie, it's great. You know, we're gonna have you back. Um, because we're, we're really packed today. If you folks put your hands up, if you don't mind, um, it's 520. Uh, Andy, I know you had uh, childcare responsibilities and we want to hear more in detail. If you'll come back in a couple of weeks, we will feature you, uh, give you a full segment. You can put up a, a screen share of what you, what your uh, organization stands for and, and we can move for that. Okay. Is that all right? That sounds great. Yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time today, Harvey and everybody Justin, else. I know you want to Jump in, but um, uh, Andy's got to go and we got to move on. Is there something you can say in like five seconds? Absolutely. So the big deal about fighting fire with fire is that fire actually denies the growth of the spread of the, the flames. And so um, the big thing it's important here is multinational corporate money out, voters in. And there's a, a bill in Seattle that has already gone through. That's something that can happen nationwide. But I think that's the core of uh, how to actually have people momentum instead of corporate momentum. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, Justin, Andy Moore, thank you. We'll have you back in a couple of weeks. Check with Wendy, we'll schedule you in, okay? And uh, I wanna, and I hope you can stay now and listen to Andrea Miller. We have 88 people with us. Uh, Andrea, um, we wanna talk about Wisconsin Then we'll go to Norm. Stockwell, uh, you have three events coming up. We want to again thank you for your great work in Wisconsin and give us a template um, in conjunction with organizations like Andy's for moving into 2024 with grassroots organizing. And do that all in 10 seconds. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I am going to be really, really quick, Harvey. So, oh, Harvey okay. and crew, thank you so very much for having me. 
yes, we did work in Wisconsin and we specifically worked with Black and Hispanic voters in Milwaukee. Ed Spindell, a Republican election official, said in 2022 that they were successful because he managed to disenfranchise 37,000 Black and Brown voters in Milwaukee. So when we went into Milwaukee and Mandela Barnes lost that race by 22,000 votes, when we went into Milwaukee, we understood that the voter turnout, the Democratic voter turnout in Milwaukee needed to be 70% or more. And we were so delighted to see literally immediately after the first hour that Milwaukee was at 70% voter turnout and it ended the night at 73%. And what that told us is our Black and Hispanic voters had actually come out to vote. Now, there are a hundred and actually 238,000 vote registered voters of color in Mill in Wisconsin um, out of nearly 3 million voters. It's a very small percentage. We were really, really pleased to see um, that. 138,000 of those voters lived literally in one city county, and that was Milwaukee. So that made our job easy. One of the things that we do when we are turning out BIPOC voters is, number one, we make sure they know when they can vote, where they can vote, and whenever possible, we give them a ride. We had a number of people when they called our souls to the polls for free rides say, thank you so very much because if I hadn't been able to get a ride, I wouldn't have been able to go and vote. So I cannot stress the importance of making sure that when we are looking at elections, we do not forget how are our more vulnerable voters going to get there, our seniors and our low-income voters, especially those voters in areas of the city, counties, wherever, where there is limited to no public transportation. So that is always one of the first things we look at. How are we going to resolve the issue? And we make certain that we can explain what the voting rules are for voters, because in many instances, we may be turning out voters that have skipped the past two elections, some the past three. So they may not be aware of the new rules, such as one of the rules in Wisconsin was if you vote by mail, you can only drop off your ballot. You cannot drop off the ballot of a friend or a family member. And we had a number of voters who said, well, but, you know, I got a relative who is bedridden and we were able to say, we've given you the number for your registrar, call that registrar, give the registrar your name, your name of the voter, and make sure they understand you will be dropping off two ballots. You don't want to get there and have them refuse the ballot. So clear that ahead of time. And people really appreciated that. So your your uh, strategy is uh, face well you've worked with in Wisconsin you worked with souls to the polls yes you have him on there and if you have a connection to Mandela Barnes we'd like to have him on the call I think uh, Mandela Barnes will be joining us on Thursday May 11th to talk about his new bridging the gap pack which exists to really help minority women rural. LGBTQIA candidates, all the candidates that the political parties seem to not care about and refuse to fund when they are running for elections. Right. So and, if you'll put your, you have three events coming up, you want to put them in the chat uh, tell yep. them quickly. 
And this is our plan for 2024, two parts. Uh, well, well, well. And then let me share my screen for just a moment because Virginia has a primary coming up on June 20th. And so we are getting ready for Virginia. So what you need to know about Virginia in 2023 is, as goes Virginia, as goes or will go the nation. We are running our first races in our new districts and redistricting in Virginia was fair-ish, but brutal. We ended up with 37 Republican districts or likely Republican, 31 likely Democratic districts, and 32 districts that are brand new, these districts literally could go either way. So Virginia, Virginia is going to be a fight. The entire legislature, all 140 seats are going to be up for election. And we also have more than 25 incumbents who decided they weren't going to run for re-election, many of them because they were in a district less favorable to their party, but a number because they were going to have to run against a fellow incumbent. Now, very similar to Wisconsin, in Virginia, what we are fighting for is a reproductive freedom constitutional amendment, and our current governor has set all the wins we had on restoration of voting rights for returning citizens on its head. Postcard addresses will be available on April 21st. Phone banks for Virginia will open on April 21st. Texting begins on May 1st. In Virginia, we have 45 days of early voting, so we start voting on May 5th. So I'm going to quickly scroll through these slides. Uh, all right, I'll go to these. We have got three primary races that we're starting with. SDA team, Chesapeake Portsmouth, two Black incumbents forced to run against each other. The woman is the president pro tem of the Senate. And should we win the day? would be the first African-American, the first woman to chair Senate Finance and Appropriation. Lionel is running as a spoiler. spoiler. Um, Senate District 13, Joe Morris is the incumbent. He is Virginia's favorite. It's been corrected. He's not Virginia's favorite pedophile. He is Virginia's favorite statutory rapist. So the Senate Democratic women all got together and endorsed Lachery's heir. The Democratic Party still gave money to Joe, but whatever. So what we are doing this year, which is very different than all previous years, I am president of National Women's Political Caucus. And in these primaries, we are going to need to go in deep. We are going to need to go in hard. So while the C3 will be very involved in the primaries, we are pulling out the 501C4 to be able to dig in deep on those races. So events on April 30th at 6 p.m. There will be a special rally for Virginia and we're calling it the Road to Richmond. All the candidates have confirmed as has Jen McClellan. They will be talking about Virginia, its importance and their race. And I will drop links in the chat. I'm gonna scroll through this really, really fast. Here's the next one you're going to want to know about. Mandela Barnes will join us on May 11th. That'll be a Thursday night to talk about his new pack, The Long Run, designed to provide assistance for women, minority candidates, rural candidates, LGBTQIA candidates, again, all the candidates that the Democratic Party doesn't seem to want. And then finally, on May 18th, restoring the right to vote in Virginia.
we will be assembling a panel of impacted people, people working on the constitutional amendment. And I'm working on getting one of the attorneys that has filed a lawsuit because Virginia has its own version of the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. And the governor's and eh, maybe I don't feel like restoring anybody and his non-policy for restoration of voting rights violates what we believe it violates the Virginia Voters Bill of Rights. So I'm going to stop there and start dropping links in the chat. Please, please join us. Fantastic. Fantastic, Andrea. Uh, we're going to continue. Uh, don't leave us. You had an enormous impact. In, in Wisconsin. We have our resident lumberjack, uh, Norm Stockwell, on the line uh, to uh, fill us in on what's going on in, in, in Wisconsin in the wake of our uh, the, the incredible victory there uh, from progressive.org. Norm, uh, can you give us a report on what's going on in Wisconsin? Yeah, thank you very much. It was um, it was a very uh, a strong showing for uh, Judge Janet Protosewitz. Um, again, ostensibly a nonpartisan race, but uh, you know, there's no question that uh, the uh, uh, Dan Kelly, the op opponent, was getting mostly funding from uh, Republican dark money groups, and uh, Janet Protosewitz was getting money from uh, pro Democratic Party groups. So that's uh, it's pretty clear. Um, but the the vote totals were uh, were very surprising. It was a very strong turnout for basically an off year race. In fact, they had scheduled this uh, in part assuming that it would be uh, a low turnout race. And um, this uh, the numbers were very high. The numbers of young voters, the numbers of uh, voters coming out in Milwaukee, uh, thanks to Andrea and others, was uh, was very strong. But the other thing that's really interesting is we saw a lot of switchover in some of the traditional Republican strongholds. We have um, these counties in Wisconsin, these three counties outside of Milwaukee. They call them the WOW counties, which stands for Waukesha, Ozaki, and Washington. And uh, we saw quite a, a move in those counties away from the uh, the traditional uh, strong Republican uh, uh, Stocker voting block that was uh, that was pretty solidly established in Waukesha. Um, also, the counties uh, farther upstate, we had uh, Tom Nelson with us a couple of weeks ago from Outagamie County, and those counties are called the Bow Counties, which stands for uh, Brown, uh, Outagamie, and Winnebago, and and those also came out very strongly for um, uh, Judge Protosewitz, and and I think that. You know, there's no question that that Dane County and Milwaukee County made the difference in this race because they had the strongest percentages. I think Madison, uh, the Protosewitz vote was something like 82 percent to 18 percent for Kelly uh, for the for the county vote, and in uh, Milwaukee County it was like 73 to 27 percent. So, very strong showing in both of those urban areas. But picked up, she picked up a lot of support in the western part of the state, growing in the areas where the uh, Democratic vote needs to grow in the uh, months. Uh, to come between now and 2024, and also growth in these uh, traditionally Republican areas like the Wow counties. And so those are very important gains as we're looking forward. Also, if you look at the, the sheer numbers, um, Protosewitz had something like 200,000 plus votes more than Kelly. And uh, so that's, uh, you know, very strong showing. And, and you compare that to uh, uh, Joe Biden's uh, 2020 victory over Donald Trump in Wisconsin, which was something like 25,000 votes or less. So less than 25,000 votes. So, you know, that's an eight time uh, advantage there. It was also um, uh, much stronger than the, uh, the statewide Democratic uh, spread in the 2020 two elections. So, you know, definitely a, a, a linear progression moving upward there on the on the uh, on the vote differences. Um, however, 
Wisconsin is a very divided state. It's the state of uh, fighting Bob LaFollette, the founder of our magazine, and it's also the state of uh, Joseph McCarthy. And we see that play out regularly in elections, and we saw it here as well. Uh, Judge Janet Protasiewicz uh, won a resounding victory, which secured the state Supreme Court. But in the state Senate, the Republicans uh, gained their supermajority, which allows them, among other things, it gives them the powers of um, impeachment. And so there is some discussion now that Wisconsin law allows the um, state legislature to impeach any civil officer. They don't really define what that means, civil officer, but the candidate who won the state Senate, a guy named Dan Knodel, uh, said during the campaign that the first thing he would do is impeach uh, Judge Janet Protasiewicz. And uh, so, you know, we, we kind of know where their, where their thinking is on this. Now, uh, just a couple of days ago, the um, uh, Senate Majority Leader, a guy named Devin Lemahue, said that uh, they would not uh, be planning to do any impeachments, that they would not be using that power. Uh, but, you know, that's what he said to the media a couple of days ago, and we'll see how the how the year plays out. The, the issue of impeachments is an interesting one because more than anything else, what it could do is tie things up and bog things down. Um, the uh, Supreme Court uh, Justice Janet Protasiewicz will be seated August 1st. And we know that um, almost immediately a progressive group here in Wisconsin called Law Forward is going to be introducing um, a, uh, a suit trying to overturn the gerrymandered maps, which will make a huge difference for the 2024 elections should that go through. And so any kind of actions that will slow that process down when you're looking at only the period between um, you know, August of 2023, and we start having primaries in the uh, uh, early spring of 2024. So it's a pretty short um, uh, agenda there. And so I think that anything that slows that down could be deemed problematical. So we have to keep an eye on that. And one thing that has been pointed out is the governor has the power to um, appoint someone. So if a Supreme Court justice were impeached, the governor could appoint a new Supreme Court justice. And in fact, that's how um, Dan Kelly, the candidate who just lost, had gotten his seat on the Supreme Court back in 2016, was he was uh, appointed by uh, then Governor Scott Walker. And so, you know, we can see that back and forth happening, but I think that anything like that will mean delays and distractions from an agenda right now, which looks like, uh, you know, very strongly geared towards revisiting the gerrymandered districts and also overturning or um, uh, eliminating the state's 1849 anti-abortion law. Those are the things that voters were most concerned about in this election. And those are the things that I think we should expect to see happening most quickly after uh, Judge Protasiewicz is seated in August of this year. So we want to point out, thank you, Norm. Uh, first of all, Norm is the publisher of the Progressive Magazine, one of the great, and now Progressive.org, one of the great institutions of progressive thought and, and action in this country. It's a great honor to have you with us, Norm, uh, and to represent we also have, I want to mention, uh, Dennis Bernstein is with us, the host of KPFK's, uh, Berkeley's um, um, Flashpoints. Great to have you with us. The great Joel Siegel is with us uh, uh, from uh, the homeless organizations. He's working with a tremendous and a co-founder of these calls, Carl Grossman of the No Nukes Movement on Long Island. Great to have you, Carl. Ann Wilcox is with us. Alyssa Matras, uh, 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 Tatanka Bricka, great from Romero. We have a really all-star group here. We have 95 people on the call, for God's sakes. Uh, one of the things that important to note before we go to the nuclear issue in Anna Georgie is um, the you mentioned the gerrymandering. If the Supreme Court of Wisconsin overturns the current terribly gerrymandered maps, that will involve uh, uh, at least two con congressional seats because uh, Wisconsin now has eight congressional seats six Republicans, which is insane. And uh, so at least two congressional seats will be up for grabs. And then, of course, these ridiculous super 
majorities in the um, in the legislature, uh, they will go away as well. We hope, and of course, abortion rights will be uh, confirmed. So this is a very very big deal, and um, um, uh, we want to thank Andrea for bringing in the grassroots organizations, or at least organizing a, a lot of the grassroots campaigning, and you, Norm, for the great work uh, with the progressive.org. And, uh, you know, it still kills me. I, I, you know, we're nonpartisan here. So this is about a candidate. It kills me that Ron Johnson is still the Senator from, um, um, uh, I could, I could give him some good Yiddish descriptions, but we'll forgo that right now. Uh, but hopefully that will change. And you do have a senatorial race, uh, in Wisconsin next year. So this is a very, very big deal. And, uh, and we appreciate both of you. Okay, so come back soon. Come back with the previous speaker in a couple of weeks, and we'll get the updates. All right. Thank and you very much. Put the, put all the checks. Thanks, RV. Okay, thank you. We're also joined. We're going to go nuclear now. We this is a celebration of a great victory in Wisconsin. It's staggering. You mentioned Norm that um, uh, Janet Prasewitz won by two hundred thousand votes in a state that Biden carried by twenty. I mean, that's that's staggering. That's really mind boggling when you think of it. So there's definitely a sea change, especially when you look at what also happened in Michigan. So we're also now at 542. We want to uh, switch over to another. And this is a truly monumental world class world history landmark with Anna Georgie here. Germany, the fourth largest country and fourth largest economy in Europe. <laughs> there we've got the obligatory banner here. Um, uh, Steve, can you put up uh, the post picture of Anna with her banner? Um, Germany has shut its last nuclear power plant. This is an almost impossible to overstate in terms of its importance. And uh, there, there's Anna at the, at the Win, Win, Greenfield uh, Common uh, with her, her German uh, uh, a banner. I gotta say, uh, Anna is responsible for introducing much of the German content to the American anti-nuclear movement. And you were just there, um, Anna, and then we'll, we'll follow you with Scott Denman and uh, Linda Pence-Gunter to talk about the bigger, broader implications of this shutdown. But I, I, you know, I talked about it on the Greenpeace call on Saturday within hours and put up a, a piece, Steve Caruso posted it at the, at the freepress.org. We had the first piece, post shutdown piece out there on the internet. It is a very, very big deal. Anna, can you tell us uh, due to, from your recent visit to Germany, what, what happened here? Okay, well, thanks so much. It's a real pleasure to be here and great honor and to tell you a little bit about what's going on. But I wanted to express the news in from the movement itself, because one of the big things is that uh, Germany, the size of California, uh, was first would, was planned for having like 60 nukes, 38 actually were built, many of them never re, uh, opened, but there has been an amazing movement since 1975, especially. And there, uh, I think one thing we want to know is how did they do it? And so I wanted to express uh, how the group the national coordinating group of all the, uh, they call them uh, the, it's the uh, Radiate, which is the National Anti-Atomic Organization. And their goal is to support, uh, to support the work of local public protests. So that's who made the banner. And they work, they, they work with uh, small groups all over Germany. Um, and this is what, how they uh, expressed the the um, their victory. Okay, so this is an English translation. With a huge anti-nuclear sun projected onto the cooling tower of the nuclear power plant Emslin, activists of the nationwide anti-nuclear organization Ausgestrahlt, so radiation, uh, honored on April 10th, the historic success of the anti-nuclear movement, which means the shutdown of the last nuclear power plants on Saturday, April 15th. In their hands, they held a banner that said, one together, W-O-N, one together, 50 years of anti-nuclear movement. 
And this is what the spokesperson said. The anti-nuclear phase out and the shutdown of the last nuclear power plants in Germany is a success of the commitment of hundreds of thousands of citizens. For more than five decades, they have used their persistence, imagination, and ever new protests to make the good arguments against nuclear power prevail. Together, they have won what is probably the biggest dispute in the history of the Federal Republic of Germany. Probably never before has a citizens' movement achieved anything comparable. Without the constant pressure from the anti-nuclear movement, there would never have been a political decision to phase out nuclear power, nor would it ever have become reality. At the same time, the anti-nuclear movement helped launch and enable the worldwide triumph of renewable energies. With the shutdown of the last power reactors on Saturday, the risk of a catastrophic accident in Germany is dramatically reduced and the production of highly radioactive nuclear waste in the nuclear power plants has stopped. At the same time, the nuclear power plant phase out is an important step for the energy transition. Now it is important to secure the success that has been achieved. Instead of nuclear power, no thanks, it is now nuclear power never again. Ah. And even after the shutdown of the nuclear power plants, numerous nuclear power uh, problems remain. These include mountains of nuclear waste that must be stored safely, a nuclear industry that uh, you know wants to keep, continues to do business from Germany, the EU's pro-nuclear policy and the danger that continues to emanate from nuclear power plants in the neighboring countries. So we're not running out of work anytime soon. Despite <laughs> the historic success we're celebrating on Saturday. So that's Fantastic. the word. Woo! That's the word from them. And so it's kind of on to the EU and to fight this, this movement, which we know here, you know. Don't maybe don't build new ones, but if they're running, you know, because if they don't make CO2, uh, we should keep them running as part of a, uh, a climate change strategy. And so there they said, you know, we're celebrating, but with uh, eyes open. Fantastic. Well, you recall the uh, great quote from A.J. Musty, the wonderful pacifist uh, organizer who said about a life in activism, he said, the pay's no good but the work is steady, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and you get great t-shirts. I yeah. thought I'd pull this out of the closet. Oh yes, fantastic. 45 years old. <laughs> there you go, Un unbelievable. In 1976, we had the first occupations at Seabrook. Uh, we stopped unit one, uh, unit two rather, but uh, anyway, fantastic report, Anna. And well, can I, I just I, say that, that that those occupations here were uh, based on the very first ones in Germany, in the rural uh, uh, town of Wiel, uh, where farmers in seven, nine, uh, February 75, when farmers and housewives and students, 28,000 student supporters came and occupied the site. And I see that Betsy Corners on is on this call and that's really wonderful. She's been there, I was there and we brought home the news and the strategy. Yes, indeed, fantastic. And, and uh, uh, Betsy is a great hero with uh, uh, Randy Keeler there. Um, uh, we have other be be uh, veterans, Carl Grossman, although he looks much too young, He's down there on the bottom right. He was a, a, ver, a very instrumental in shutting the, uh, the, the Shoreham reactors. We can now have a, a brag that we have the uh, Indian Point reactors shut down. Uh, it is headed in the right direction. And I, you know, I read the New York Times article about, about the shutdown and they never, they, they always, they have all, all these people quoted saying uh, that this was a dumb thing to do. Nobody spoke to the reasons that it was done. And in fact, the Germany, Germans have prevailed. They're, treat, they're treating Germany like it was some kind of hippie commune where all these you know, people went. In fact, German industry and Angela Merkel, who will go down in history as one of the great leaders of Europe, uh, made the decision to do it. And by God, they did it. They did no, it, was because of, it was because of the demonstrations before and after Fukushima. Yes, absolutely. The, the quick story, and I had a piece up. Steve, if you could put the link to the piece from the free press. Uh, the story is that they 
Green Movement called a major national rally in 2011 to shut the reactors in Germany. And then before the rally happened, Fukushima happened. And um, Angela Merkel, who's trained as a chemist, said, well, maybe we need to reconsider. And they have had a very smooth, it's called an energy wende, a very smooth transition to renewables. And it's working. We had that same plan in California. And unfortunately, our governor, who is nowhere near as smart as Angela Merkel, um, uh, is stabbing us in the back. And so we want uh, California. Oh, yeah, there's the piece. Uh, we want California to, fo to follow now immediately with Germany and shut down these last two reactors. I want Scott Demon, I want to give you a couple minutes. And then uh, Linda Pence Gunter. Scott has been very instrumental in the movement, especially in the shutdown of the reactor. We, can we un unmute Scott and um, Linda, uh, especially in the reactors we sh that were, the reactor was shut at, at Rancho Seco in 1989. Uh, Scott Demon, uh, go ahead, please, Scott. That's great. Well, I want to say thank you, Anna, for your leadership. I think it's important to remember that Anna, as the director of Critical Mass, uh, the Ralph Nader uh, wing of uh, Congress Watch and Public Citizen, um, as the director of that, she wrote the initial Bible on the uh, safe energy movement, anti-nuclear movement, which is called No Nukes. There it is. Everyone's Guide to Nuclear Power. And uh, we now refer to it as the Old Testament, but go ahead. <laughs> I've, I've well, got a couple boxes in the basement. If anyone's right. interested, you can get it. Well, I guess what I have to do is int introduce the New Testament, which is we've got our hands full. Um, the Biden administration, the nuclear industry, academia, the you know third way and other uh, hypesters are pushing these small nuclear reactors as the uh, new and improved uh, uh, nuclear technology, when in fact the uh, first one uh, out of the gates that's been supported by taxpayers and pushed uh, for the state of Utah and to be built at the uh, independent in the Idaho National Engineering Lab. Uh, is already um, seven years behind schedule, and it will be at least uh, 14 years behind schedule before it's ever built. Uh, it's still on the drawing board, and the price has doubled from uh, $55 a megawatt hour to 110 or 120. And it's, you know, it's the old myth. And we know that every single reactor in the United States, when you add it all up and you do the math, the cost is always three times more, has always been on average three times more than uh, the original estimate. And it's at least uh, twice as, as long delayed. And the latest example of this is in Vogel, where the last two reactors that weren't canceled in the so-called nuclear renaissance in the United States those last two are now $34 billion budgeted, still prices going up, and they are over seven years delayed. And the original price on that was $14 billion for those reactors. We'll never get, a, 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 not even a cost-effective, we'll get a gold-plated uh, electric bill from that plant to every Georgia ratepayer uh, that ever gets anything out of it. It's insane. The staff of the Public Utility Commission down there voted to terminate it in, uh, you know, recommended to terminate it in uh, 2017. And the five members, the elected members who were paid off by the Nuclear Energy Institute, $1.25 million for that campaign, uh, they voted 5-0 to, to keep it going. Um, it, it goes on and on like that, but we, this is what we've got. And within the new IRA Act, we've heard a lot of good things about the IRA Act in terms of pushing EVs and moving forward in uh, overall sustainable energy, but it's got hundreds of billions of dollars in refinancing available for nuclear power plants. It's got new money for energy uh, research and development demonstration for nuclear power plants. Um, now the, the, the Department of Energy is working in, in uh, I won't say collusion because they're doing it publicly, but with the state regulatory agencies and the uh, oversight, uh, NASIO, the energy oversight state offices, to move nuclear power uh, through the regulatory process in these states. And they're 
we found at least 23 states are now moving to develop these small modular reactors. So the ripoff continues the, the tremendous uh, sweeping under the rug of nuclear waste, the threat to national security, we're seeing it in Ukraine. Uh, this continues, the corporate malfeasance continues, um, but the beautiful thing about all this is this movement, which, which began in the 60s and 70s, is now, uh, has, has now got victories with solar and wind, utility-scale solar and wind being four times cheaper than new nuclear power, according to the premier Wall Street Journal analytic firm, Lazar. So it's a matter of just sticking to the truth. And even though it's a Diane versus Goliath situation, <laughs> we need to keep hammering. We need to keep demonstrating and we need to force the media, which has taken this hook, line and sinker. Once again, uh, we need to confront and speak truth to uh, this corrupt power. So I'm grateful for all that you folks do. Linda Pence Gunter, I've worked with her for years, Harvey and, and Anna and, and many others and Carl. I mean, that's one thing I wanna say. The last thing I'll say is how wonderful it is. How wonderful is a human being as a human being to work with people who are like these folks and like you all out there who share the same values. It's hard, tough work, but can you imagine selling cars? I mean, this, <laughs> well, you know, we're, this selling, is, we're selling the, EVs now, so <laughs> we, we are now in the car business. <laughs> so just love to you all and we'll keep at it no matter how gray and white our hair gets. So thank you so much, Scott. Really namaste. Namaste, and, and it's so great to celebrate a victory. If I drank, I'd go out and get some German beer. <laughs> but, you know, what the heck? Linda Pence-Gunder has been a, a great expert and a great mover in this movement. And um, uh, Linda, you want to uh, throw in uh, some of your uh, Deutschmarks here? Absolutely, yes. And, and first of all, you know, Scott is the reason I'm sitting here at all. He got me into this mess. I'm not sure if I should say thank you. <laughs> Anyway, here we are, all of us together, and uh, also introduced me to my husband, so there we go. Um, but I did want to go back to Germany uh, just for a moment because um, the, I, not to sort of break your, your spell about Angela Merkel, Harvey, who you seem to love greatly, but just to be clear, I mean, first of all, she's- well, I, I was enamored of her when, when Trump si tried to seduce her in front of the- <laughs> That you was a great moment. Tracy Ullman show you were watching. <laughs> That's right. But anyway, you know, so Merkel um, was a physicist, not a chemist, which is better oh. news actually, because then she really does know the subject. But uh, the Energiewende, you know, the Green German Revolution began long before her, of course, back in 2000 with the passage of the Renewable Energy Act. And really, uh, the reason that we have the renewable energy revolution in Germany is because of the nuclear phase out. So when you hear all this nonsense about, well, you know, they've, they've, they're torpedoing their own revolution by phasing out nuclear, it's the reason it happened at all. And the reason is that the deal that was made for this renewable energy act was that if we were to phase out nuclear in Germany, it must be replaced by renewables and not fossil fuels. So that opened the way for a huge stimulus of renewable energy development, combined with the fact that then they set up what they call this feed-in tariff, which set a price for renewable energy uh, um, generated electricity that was guaranteed for 20 years. So it gave people a lot of security in terms of investing in that. And of course it boomed really big because people, individuals then decided to buy in it, not just corporations. And they also gave uh, priority, grid priority to renewables. So that's what started it. And actually Angela Merkel sort of put the brakes on it a little bit in 2016 and made it more difficult to introduce renewables as quickly. So there was a little bit of a downshift there but it's obviously back in business now. They've already replaced these three nukes with renewables before they even closed. Uh, the whole situation is going to accelerate now towards a 2045 you know, carbon neutral economy. So it is a great success story, but the anti-nuclear movement needs to take the credit for it because that's what happened in 2000. That's why it happened. Um, it was politically impossible to support nuclear power. I mean, can you imagine every political party being anti-nuclear? That was the situation in Germany. That's a kind of fantasy, here, right? So right. I think those are the lessons that we need to take away from the German uh, success today.
Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, I got to point out two things. First of all, my buddy Dave Solomon says that Angela is a quantum chemist, whatever. The, I think that's a chemist who takes LSD, but um, uh, I'm not sure. But um, uh, the, the point is also that California, based on the German uh, plan, signed a similar deal in 2016 uh, to shut the two reactors at Diablo Canyon. And, and Gavin Newsom is now doing what Angela Merkel didn't, thank God. I mean, she may have put the brakes on a little bit, but Gavin Newsom is now trying to kill the whole deal and keep Diablo Canyon open, which is catastrophic. And uh, so that's, that's our renewed. And if we win in California, we will have the fourth and fifth biggest economies in the world being post-nuclear. Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we needed When the sun shone down on the Garden of Eden 